0: There's a lot of uncertainty right now when it comes to the carbon market.
1: We feel like there's got to be some mechanism, a framework, so to say, of a government program that can get this thing sort of started, get it in a a framework that can be worked with. Martin
0: Barbary with RIPE, a coalition of farmers, ranchers, and agriculture trade association representatives, joins me today to discuss the RIPE 100 plan that would begin to build a framework for a carbon market available to ranchers and farmers. What's its purpose? How's it going work and is being a government program a good thing on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. And we welcome you back. I'm Justin Mills. This is The Working Ranch Radio Show, and we're glad to have you joining us on our program today. This is Episode 68, and if you, there is something that you hear today that you want to go back and you'd like to listen to again or maybe you want to share it across your social media platform or email-wise, uh, if you go to pretty much any podcast provider out there, you can find Working Ranch Radio Show, and you can find this episode. If you if there's something that you like, uh, be sure to let us know. Also, I want to... Uh, Tell you this is a show that came out of an email from Gray Smith out of North Florida that had emailed me and said, Hey, this is a group that I'm here that I know about. They're doing some stuff regarding carbon marketing. Uh, maybe it's something you'd be interested in doing. So, Gray, thanks for emailing us on that and giving us a, kind of a heads up on that. And that's kind of where this show originates from. So, yes, if you have an idea for a show, we welcome your your ideas. You can sure get a hold of me. My email address is ranch and at gmail.com and let us know. We're definitely open to anything, especially if it fits within what we do here at the Working Ranch Radio Show. Anyways, we are glad that you are tuned here for our program today. It is going to be interesting as we get into exploring a little bit about this carbon market and this topic that really, as I said, has a lot of uncertainty to it. I know there are ranchers across the country that have already taken advantage of some opportunities that are out there, but I also... Know there's probably a far larger number that have heard about it, wondering about it, and wondering how this is going to play out, and how do how's it even going to take shape? Well, today we're going to be talking, as I said in the intro, with Martin Barbary, who's with Ripe. Now that is an acronym for this: Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment is the acronym for Ripe, and we're going to be talking about their Ripe 100 plan and kind of why it came about, what's the purpose of it, uh, how's it going to work, and then we're. Also going to be talking about because they're proposing that eventually this program would become a government program. We're going to be talking about that whether or not whether or not that's a good thing. But all in all, some good dialogue and some good discussion about this carbon market. Just one of the elements of it. I'm going to be up front and honest with you right now. We're not going to get into everything about it because there is a lot to it. But this is a start of some conversation that I think would be very valuable for any of us that are landowners or are out there and ranching and have the opportunity to maybe eventually take advantage of some of these particular opportunities. So that will be our main feature here today on our program. Of course, in just a few moments, the captain, Tim O'Byrne, will be in with this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. And meteorologist Don Day in our very last segment here today, giving us a look at what the weather is going to look like as we head into the month of May. Uh, boy, it's been pretty uh, quite extensive weather for folks up in the northern tier of the country. However, for folks down in the uh, central southern planes uh, a little drier and uh, we'll see if that's going to continue on and what he when he feels that may change up some right now though a thank you to the sponsors of the working ranch radio show the american cemental association sim genetics has provided increased profitability to the rancher find out more by going to cemental.org bobcat one tough tractor if you go to their website at bobcat.com you can use the build and quote tool and you can design your own ideal bobcat machine machine right there on the spot. The American Hereford Association, come home to Hereford. And the North American Limousine Foundation, Limousine Cattle, deliver to your bottom line. And finally, the American Akaushi Association, experience the difference. Find out more. Go to their website at akaushi.com. Well, right now, let's check in with the captain, publisher, and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents.
2: Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. This is a great program for the young folks, Justin. uh, TCFA, Texas Cattle Feeders Association, welcomes new feed yard tech graduates. Throughout the month of April, 148 students representing 35 schools from the Texas Panhandle completed the TCFA Spring 2022 Feed Yard Technician Program. The hands-on program is a collaboration between TCFA West Texas A&M University and Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Services and provides high school juniors and seniors the knowledge and skills needed to prepare them for a potential career in the fed cattle industry. Because no two jobs are the same on a feed yard, and I know this, Justin, because I spent five years on the big 25,000 head feed yards, the program covers different career paths. Spring participants learn and practice proper cattle care, including safe handling techniques, the administration of vaccines and implants, and beef quality assurance requirements. Students also put their skills to the test in a mock interview with industry leaders, whereas fall participants discover the ins and outs of machinery operations along with facility maintenance and repairs. So there's two totally different deals. You got the whole machinery deal and the whole cattle care deal. If you are interested in potentially hiring students who have participated in this amazingly wonderful program, please contact Brady Miller at Brady at TCFA.org or Rachel Hernandez at Rachel at TCFA.org or call 806-358-3681 or head to tcfa online tcfa.org and they'll uh, they'll get you all the info you need justin back to you great show
0: you bet thanks captain some good information on a great program there well stay with us when we come back we'll get into our featured topic today and if carbon markets is something that you've heard about and would like to know more about it well then today's show is one you're going to want to tune into we'll be back and get started with it when we come back on the working ranch radio show Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus sired calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus sired steer calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low risk, high potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here with you as we jump now into our featured interview today. And this topic of of carbon farming here in agriculture is is a topic that has become more and more of an interest to producers across the country. And today I am joined by Martin Barbary, who's the Vice President of Engagement and Government Relations with the Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment. And Martin, uh, there's a nice acronym to put that all together called RIPE. And I appreciate you joining us here today on our program.
1: Yeah, Josh, Glad to be here. It's it's always great to have the opportunity to talk about. It, right. Well,
0: let's first go back and let's set this up as to first what brought this about. First of all, because it's quite a collaboration, and, and we'll get to a, get to that later. It's quite a collaboration between a lot of different folks in the industry, whether it's producers, whether it's industry folks, uh, and and folks that's had some experience within the government agencies. So, what what really took us down the road to where this uh, became an organization?
1: Justin, it's, it's really an interesting story in that this is right, came from one person's vision. Uh, our executive director, Elisa Washington Drews, uh, about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago was working maybe longer, a little longer than that. But anyway, was working for a family farm group out in California at the time that, that California was implementing a lot of their climate regulations and rules. And, and she saw it during that time that, Farmers really just weren't getting a fair shake in these deals that they were just kind of paying the bill for what they were expected to do and with no return for that. So fast forward a little bit and then she went to work for the governor's coalition there in DC and she worked on the energy policies, the basically the clean energy policies, renewable energy policies, where, where those policies were set up by the government for those producers of clean energy. To be able to make a profit with their government program so she just in her mind thought you know i saw this happen in california with the farmers coming up kind of shortchanged. this federal program allows these producers of clean energy to make a profit with their federal program why can't farmers be included in such a program that that rewards them for doing practices that, that really improve our environment, provide clean water. And, and that's really the, the idea behind RIPE. Mm-hmm. And then she just went to work, working with, with researchers, working with some some foundations and and created the basis for RIPE, but with, with really a lot of the research behind the values we talk about when we talk about the value of a practice on a particular acre. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really how we got started. Um, She's had uh, a team of of three or four for the last couple of years. And then in the last few months, six months to a year she's been at we've been able to add more folks including myself
0: sure sure so then let's get to really what it is and and what your goals are you know i know you've got some plans some phases that you would like to see happening over the course of time uh it is a collaboration as i said before between several different entities uh within agriculture and so let's 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 talk about the organization from that standpoint
1: So okay so you know right basically is, as you said, it's a coalition of ag producers uh, from across the country, really working to advance this federal framework that invests in, in rural, rural America. And We say mitigates because that's kind of the terminology today, but it's really more about environmental benefits and rewarding farmers for those environmental benefits. We want we want farmers to earn a fair and profitable return from voluntary conservation practices. But that's the, one of the key principles behind Ripe is it must be a voluntary program. And so to distinguish us, you know, we're different from folks that are only paying for carbon farming. You know, we hear the stories. I've I've had the pitches made, you know, sign up and, and one company says they'll give you six dollars if you implement, newly implement a cover crop. Well, that's great. Six bucks an acre, that's really you know, but it's gonna cost me twenty to thirty or more to implement that practice. So it's a net loss for me to even join it up with that program. Or if I, if I add no-till, it's another three bucks. So for nine bucks, I can no-till and use cover crops and spend 60 or 80 bucks an acre to do that. So that's really kind of where we're different from those programs. We feel like that the producers should be rewarded for that broader set of benefits of, of water quality, water conservation, soil health, biodiversity, uh, you know, on top of and these practices at the same time. They're still capturing carbon, still sequestering carbon in the soil. So we feel like our program is just a, a broader way and a better way of, of getting farmers to uh, to implement these practices.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the couple phases that you have uh, that you have on paperwork here that you're trying to work through this process. Let's mm-hmm. let's get into phase one and what does phase one look like?
1: Well, right now, Justin, phase one has been bringing folks like me on board and actually starting to reach out to ag associations reach out to to just individual farmers across the country and bringing these ag associations into our group and, and getting their support that's really phase one of what's been done because what we've heard on the hill is that, that they want to hear from farmers and ranchers that this is what they want so that's phase one mm-hmm. so then we now we are applying for one of the USDA climate smart ag grants that that will be the closes May 6 so we've, we've been in a flurry for the last two-and-a-half months building that putting that all together uh, working in four states with a lot of groups within those four states again just a collaboration of folks that are interested in making this program go forward so that, that's really phase one uh, after that we will be looking at at we, I know we plan on being in the farm bill discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our basic tenets is that we will not touch current farm bill money. So this needs to be new money outside of, we can talk about that later. But that's, that's really one of the big tenets that we, we want to make sure is clear. People understand we're not about repurposing farm bill money at all sure so that's kind of where we're at right now
0: okay so with this from the from the producer standpoint from the rancher side uh so what part what part do they get involved is this an opportunity for them you guys are working right now to get the program established uh work to try to get some funding with this so for the producer what does that look like then if we move forward and get into the all those through those phases and now there's an there's a program here
1: Okay, our vision of the program is is number one a simple sign up That's uh, we we hear from farmers i've I've heard this in my previous roles. We want a program that's simple, easy to do you know you don't have don't do a whole lot of tremendous amount of paperwork to do it, and that's the way we envision this our vision is you you sign up for the program we have a list of practices for for lots of commodities and livestock species and that that will provide at least, you know, we talk about RAC 100, but we we have practices and none of our practices provide less than $100 per acre in public benefit. So there's always going to be a positive cost benefit ratio for this program. But you sign up for the program, uh, we, we're going to expect you to do a little training. At the same time, we're going to look at, you know, start building some sort of a stewardship plan going forward but essentially sign up for the program do the practice and get paid that's that's really the the simple part of it we know that that if it's at usda there will be some sort of an auditing process every every government program does that Mm -hmm. um you know I, i i i think that as we go forward uh that will get refined
0: Sure, so so as far as the management of this program, it is going to be through USDA, is what you're saying.
1: For the pilot program, the the program will actually be managed by individual entities within each state that's in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're we're working with with state departments of ag, state departments of natural resources. Uh, Virginia Tech is our primary sponsor in Virginia, the university. So we're working with a lot of different groups. Uh, and most of all, the states we're working with the local soil and water districts to help be the implementers and and actually will help those districts and get them a little funding to help move forward as well.
0: Mm -hmm. My guest today, Martin Barbary, who's the Vice President of Engagement and Government Relations with RIPE. It's an acronym that stands, uh, organization that stands for Rural Investment to Protect our environment we are visiting with him more about that and uh, as they work to try to bring that program to uh, to a point to which producers can be a part of that program we have more with him we're going to continue down some more questions regarding this as it moves forward when we return here on the working ranch radio show
2: if you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow would you do it In the cattle business, it's about
1: efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal
2: efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today Profit tomorrow.
0: And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Martin Barbary, Vice President of Engagement and Government Relations with Ripe, uh, an organization working to bring uh, some uh, some financial element to ranching and farming and the agricultural industry for the practices that uh, could be done out there in regards to carbon farming or carbon capturing in our soil. And Martin, one of the things that here in the ag industry, and we've had several. I've had several different guests on our show and that we've talked about that there are a lot of practices currently that agriculture does you know of course I'm we mainly talk with ranchers and there's a lot of elements to what we do here that are very carbon positive to to the environment and when we start getting into this entire topic of of climate control boy you just get a lot of mixed feelings you either get you know angry reviews or you get or people just like shrugging it off or whatever but I I do know that in our industry we realize that it, it is a topic whether we want to totally agree with it or not it is a topic that we have to we have to have some conversation we have to be at the table and i guess is is that where this organization is coming from is putting us at that table
1: justin you you just described that perfectly yeah that that's the whole point of this i mean you know there's the old adage that if you're you know if you're not at the table you're on the menu and then and that's so true in government programs you know we we feel like that um and I, and I know, maybe go down this path just a little bit, but there's always been this concern of government programs and how they can get out of hand or how they, they don't really do what they're supposed to do. We want this to be simple. Um, I feel like with my experience, especially mainly, you know, I was at USDA mm-hmm. with, with the Risk Management Agency, but but especially with my time at corn growers where I worked with the biotech groups and then, and then went on, but was involved in, you know back in in the in the late 2000s there was a thing called this climate exchange that that was tried to get put together at that time when this conversation really got started about carbon and and all that and that it never went anywhere so it's that's kind of where we're at with we feel like there's got to be some mechanism, a framework, so to say, of a government program that can get this thing sort of started, get it in a, in a framework that can be worked with. We know that, the, you know, the carbon programs, there's what, there's 10 or 12 now different companies, often carbon programs, and they're all going down a little different path, and, mm-hmm. and, and people are – I think people are beginning to back off of that because of that conversation of, of of what I talked about earlier is those programs just really don't even cover your cost of participating. Mm-hmm. And, and and the other one that, that I hadn't talked about earlier is if we include our program will include early adopters. I mean those that are out there doing the work, learning how just like in your in the livestock industry, mm-hmm. I mean there's there's folks out there that are that have figured out how to do prescribed grazing and, and all that kind of stuff and that's a practice that works in this program. But number one they're still doing the practice so they're providing the public benefit so they should be rewarded in the program but number two they're the folks out there that helping everybody else learn how to do it yeah you know yeah. That, that's that's really kind of the, the the other the big basic behind behind ripe 100 is is that we cover the practice implementation cost we cover what we know are coming is what we call climate policy costs uh fuel fertilizer costs that's going to be coming we all know if they start Putting more taxes on those things that we know who's going to pay it yeah the farmer and rancher is going to pay it so that that's really we want to make sure those two costs are covered I like to say we're trying to we, we go to the right one hundred because number one it's it's less than any public benefit for any practice is better than that. But two it gives a farmer or rancher the opportunity to have a little extra oomph, I call it, to get over the hump of implementing that practice and use that practice for a few years and then learn and see the benefits to their own operation and then continue to use it. That, mm-hmm. that's really I think that's the in my mind, the, the really feel-good part of what I think I'm doing here, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I hear some questions coming from folks that I've had conversations with, not necessarily about this, but just in, in terms of government-type programs. And you know, why do we need the government intervention in this when some of these practices have proven that um, that they will they will pay you back dividends just because you're doing a better job of a taking care of your soil uh, or, or various things like that that are going to in turn give you more natural production
1: justin you know i I really kind of what i just said sort of answered that question but the many of these practices require a different mindset on the farm Uh, if you're going to implement them um you have to to frankly in my mind you have to learn how to use that practice whatever whatever that practice is so there's got to be a, a something to help you get over that hump the carbon programs don't get you over that hump. Uh, we just feel like this is a, this is an opportunity to reward producers for doing the things, the public benefits that they provide, at the same time allowing them to start implementing these practices that create all that public benefit. It's sort of and it, it is it's a circle. I get that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that that's really the the biggest thing behind this. As we go forward, we want to we don't want this to be a, a perpetual program. That's not. What this is about? This is about helping farmers implement these practices and learn how to use them. Uh, you know, I, I think just on my own farm, if I decided to, to start using cover crops on four or five thousand acres, first person that's going to get involved is my banker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm going to spend a couple hundred thousand just seeding those cover crops, and then there's a the chance that if I start using a different practice, I may cut my yield for a few years until that practice starts to really show the benefit. So that 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 in my mind is the reason we need this program. Again, I I Mm -hmm. said it earlier to get that oomph to get the producer over sure. the hump of, of implementing the practice
0: well and, and you're right martin there's absolutely no question anything that i've ever tried to do that's that's brand new whether it's whether it's uh you know intensive grazing where you, or you're taking your land you're, you're paddocking that up and there is that uh, what what i would call about a two three year period or or maybe a little bit longer where uh you have your education is kind of coming from the school of hard knocks and it's mm-hmm. it can be a little pricey so i i can see what you're saying with that I want to go here a little bit in regards to this being a, a government-operated program, and it was a, a concern that I raised when we, when we were kind of setting up our interview. And I, we currently the the operation I'm uh, I, I live here in northeastern Wyoming, and and uh, the ranch that uh, we run on right here is pretty much kind of in the edge of the Black Hills, pretty flat. We do have a little bit of forest service up in the ranch where I was raised that we just started uh, taking over now. Uh, it's in the Black Hills, and one of the issues. That we deal with is, is getting the Forest Service and, and, and some of those folks on board with some of the newer concepts of what we're looking at, wanting to do, whether it's intensive grazing or changing a species, because the NEPA ruling was that you had to run cow calf pairs. And, and it's just, and it's like, man, we are hurting our 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 public land here by not allowing us to adapt some of these newer concepts. And I feel like really the folks within the government agencies. Are the ones that are really also going to need to be educated on some of these newer practices as well?
1: Totally agree. I uh, actually just had that same conversation about those lands and and different. Maybe there's a different species that works better on these this particular you know area of the country, and then they're not able to do that because of the way the rules are written. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We've got to educate, and that's our job at, at Ripe. That's my job at Ripe is to get out and and like I say, one of the things that we heard on the hill in, in DC was we want to hear from farmers we want to hear from ag associations that this is what they want that they want to go down this road um you know one of the things we've found is is, is the more people talk about improving water quality water conservation more environmental benefits the more they talk about that versus just the carbon programs support for a government program just goes up mm-hmm. like a rocket mm-hmm. uh we've done a survey that and just Real republicans i mean you're talking about the conservative yeah. group mm-hmm. uh, you talk about doing something on a government program for climate that <laughs> supports about 39 <39% laughs> percent at best yeah I'll, i can see that you start talking about helping farmers implement these practices the support almost doubles but then when you talk about supporting farmers to implement these environmental practices that help water quality and all that other stuff support really goes almost it's like 93 uh, percent. this was a study done by Farm Journal Trust in Food. I mean it's a you know reputable study across the country. It was done last year. So mm-hmm. you know that's 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 why we know the support's out there for this program. Uh, we get it that, that that it looks expensive. I get that. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that I hear is are people say, well, that's just impractical. Well, we sort of turn that impractical around and say well we think it's impractical for the things that we have just talked about we think it's impractical to expect a producer to risk their livelihood to implement these new practices on their own you know you're ranching you know what your practices will provide you in an income i'm, I'm farming mm-hmm. in southern illinois i know what practices i'm using today that i can pay my bills if i start implementing new practices like we told you told me your bankers really going to get in involved <laughs> and you're you end up risking your livelihood to provide a public benefit that you're not getting rewarded for. That that's really what ripes Mm -hmm. about is reward the producers for those public benefits Mm -hmm.
0: well and and i want to go back to you know one of the first things that i when i was reading through your your guys's information and everything like that and i and i'll tell you it came more from it was a little bit of a more of a probably rural uh republican mindset that you just talked about you you talked about a little bit ago and that is well with what you guys are doing then are are you are we admitting that agriculture is harmful to the environment and 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 that was the initial thought but at the same time i go back to what we talked about it a little bit ago and back to are we at the table or not so your thoughts regarding that are we admitting that agriculture is harmful to the environment
1: you know Justin, i don't i don't think we're in that argument um is there anything i guess i would return the question around is there anything out there that doesn't affect the environment
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know Positively or negatively, I think everything we do as, as humans, or even even in nature, you know, we talk about a volcano releases more gases in the environment than, than anything we can do on Earth. So you know that it's happening every day. So we feel like, for, from Ripe's perspective, from agriculture's perspective, we can be at the we can be at the table. We can be at the forefront of helping improve those conditions. Uh, you know, improve water quality, improve water conservation, sequester carbon—all those things that are involved. Uh, slow methane release with some of the livestock practices. I mean, there's just a lot of things that agriculture can do. I'm fully in agreement that agriculture is can be a big part of the solution. But again, until we can reward those farmers and ranchers for doing the practices and implementing those practices, uh, it's just we, we've just not seen a change. From the status quo operations because that's what's paying the bills today
0: mm-hmm. you bet my guest today is martin barbary vice president of engagement and government relations with ripe when we come back we're going to continue and we're going to talk about if you're interested in this and, and more, learning more about it or how you can be involved we're going to talk about how that can be done from from your standpoint as a rancher i know this issue of carbon credits out there it's a big issue here in agriculture and we're going to talk about how you can learn more or get involved in this particular uh, movement here when we return on the working ranch radio show
2: Whoa, Herefords are the efficiency experts for a reason. In crossbreeding systems, Herefords boost pregnancy rates by 7% and add $30 per head in feed yard profitability. And Hereford genetics bring unrivaled hybrid vigor, longevity, and disposition. Now that'll stop you in your tracks. Come home to Hereford for more pounds, more calves, and more profit. Visit hereford.org for a sale near you.
0: And welcome back here again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Martin Barbary, Vice President of Engagement and Government Relations with RIPE. We've talked about uh, what that acronym stands for here. If you're just joining us now, you can go back and listen to that. And uh, and Martin, uh, you know, really... As I, as I closed out the last segment and we started talking about our interview here today, really this whole thing of, of carbon sequestration, it is a big deal and it's becoming a more popular thing here uh, in our industry. And it's a mechanism to where there is a potential revenue back to uh, the the ranchers, the farmers out there. And so uh, fr- from the standpoint of where you guys are coming from, one of the things that I feel like I what I'm sensing in this is that, yeah, there's some programs out there but nobody's really certain how that's going to end up. There's some a lot of uncertainty there, and with what you're trying to do with Ripe is really to provide some framework uh for farmers and ranchers to get started in this, but then also just just kind of bring everybody together so that we can kind of get this moving forward.
1: Exactly, Justin. That that's the whole key, and that's that's what I do. That's that's my position here is is reach out to folks uh we have a, a what we call an ag outreach director jamie powers jamie's actually been with right for almost three years now so creating that positive movement out in the country making people aware of what we're doing making people aware we're learning hearing more in the just in the last two three months really that you you run into somebody yeah i've heard it right you know and and before you didn't hear that so I think we're getting, we're getting the word out there. Uh, we created a uh, couple of different avenues for, for people to get involved. We have what we call a, a steering committee. Mm-hmm. Our steering committee is, is comprised of, it's going to be up to 15. We want it to be ag associations. Uh, we're at about halfway there now with ag associations. The rest of our steering committee are, are folks that are involved in agriculture but are serving on our steering committee as they're in in their individual capacity mm-hmm. i mean there's there's folks that are ag association presidents past presidents folks that are, are executive directors or presidents of, of a couple of livestock associations as well so we've got we've got a broad group of people that are really and all all ag focused mm-hmm. uh, going beyond that and that that's really the the steering committee is really the group that, that we go to as, as staff And they help us shape and form the direction of our policy and where we go next. Uh, But then we have created what we call a farmer advisory network. And that's really where we can talk about folks that want to get involved. That, that like what they hear about RIPE and want to go out and, and be interested in talking about RIPE, uh, we would we would ask those folks to go to our website. There's a link on there to, to hook up to the fan. Um, and and we, we would love to have folks that are interested in what we're doing join that fan. There's also a link on that. We put out a monthly newsletter of, of talking about where, what ripes doing where we're going next and, and those types of things there's a link on there that everyone can sign up for that newsletter just if you want more information and and then obviously if you want to go to riperoadmap.org, um, there's just volumes of all our data is on that website it's mm-hmm. it's, it's you can get really like we yeah. call it wonky if you want to <laughs> yeah yeah but but that's really the, the the focus of what I'm doing and why I'm Happy to to have the opportunity to, you know, the folks, I I always like to do this when I do any interview with with an ag reporter is thank you guys. I mean, without you guys getting the word out of what I'm doing, whether it was at Corn Growers or at USDA at RMA or now with Ripe, if we didn't have you guys out there doing these ag broadcasts, this word would never get out. So I just Mm -hmm. want to thank you for that and for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. I want. I want to get that in
0: before we get done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to go back to your kind of your advisory uh, board and, and some of those folks that you have involved in there and 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 one of the things I I, I don't want to segregate our agriculture industry because I think we we do enough on our own. <laughs> that's not We're very big, good at it. You know that that's not always beneficial. But at the same time, I also know that you know this is a working ranch radio show, so primarily you know a lot of folks listening uh, through uh, through the radio or through through the podcast are going to be probably more rancher oriented from that so from that standpoint uh you know who do you have involved or how how is your involvement from the ranching side of things because you know really as as some of the examples we've talked about here today we've been talking about cover crops and things like that and and especially when we start talking about government programs the first thing people think of well that's for the farmer not for the rancher so from that standpoint uh let's let's talk about this the ranchers involvement into this
1: Okay. One of the groups on our steering committee that just joined uh, two or three weeks ago is the Minnesota State Cattlemen's Association. Um, they they see the value in what we're doing. They're involved with us on the steering committee. Mm-hmm. So they're actually involved in that. Um, and then Meredith Ellis uh, is a rancher from Texas. So that's really the, mm-hmm. the two big groups that, that from ranching. We're, we're talking with uh, North Dakota livestock groups, um groups in the Midwest as well so uh, we have a fellow by the name of Jimmy Emmons who is on our steering committee Jimmy is a rancher from Oklahoma Jimmy very involved in, in regenerative ag and he's using cover crops and and raising growing yearlings for folks on his cover crops so it means really involved in that so we've got you know we've got a pretty good out of, out of 12 or 13 that are on our steering committee now three or four are livestock folks mm-hmm. so that's that's why I feel like we're actually covering you know we we want livestock to be involved because it's a very important part of our ag community in the country
0: mm-hmm. let's kind of just recap real quick the where you're at with progress you said you're going to the USDA for funding on this that's going to be coming up here that deadline's coming up next from there then we yep. we, we move through let's just kind of recap that real quick again
1: so right now Justin we are in the process of finalizing the the, the scope of that we're going to provided we get the grant we want to we're going to 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 uh, pilot in four states north dakota minnesota arkansas and virginia uh gonna get it across the country uh one of the things within that pilot that we didn't talk about earlier is we've set aside two and a half million dollars in a couple for each of a couple of the states to do some specific uh kfo work uh okay try to figure out you know lagoon cover those types of things to try to help to learn more about how that can be effective and how we can implement that into the program. So that's just another mm-hmm. point that, that of our application that, that's livestock focused. Yes. So so we want to make sure that's included. Uh, obviously we are at the point of, of pretty much got our, our plan finalized, pretty much got all of our partners on board and all their private work done. So so that grant will be going in on, on before May sixth. And then beyond that, actually, I, and one thing I didn't mention earlier, we're, we're sort of looking at, at and really just starting to investigate the possibility of a, of a standalone pilot through Agapropes, uh, maybe more so if this doesn't happen. But, sure. but we want to we get the word out, and, and it's going to take a pilot. That's what we've heard from the Hill, Yeah, is you guys need to get a pilot created so you can show the benefit and show how people actually come into the program and work. Our program full-blown program if we if if we had that in place is to include everyone every acre all size types of farmers small large whatever Uh, for the pilot we will limit acreages in states just because we want to get more producers involved Sure, sure So, but, but the whole program is include everyone. Yeah.
0: Well, and I was, that was my next question because I I knew in that first element of it, you were just going to be, there was going to be a limited number and your goal was to have really anybody that wanted to be involved. And again, back to that, that, that would be a compensation of a hundred dollars per acre. Is that correct?
1: That's, that's the pilot will be at a hundred dollars an acre. We realized that, you know, as this program evolves, if, if we get it into legislation, Congress will have the, that's one thing, we've, we've built this program to be scalable so we know Congress has the final say on how much money they're going to spend on any program so as we go forward, we will hope this program would get scaled up fully one of the other things we're doing in this pilot, Justin, is, is we're working with a group called SOAR, Supporters of Ag Research mm-hmm. they're a group of, of a lot of the big companies Pepsi's, those types of companies and they're going to look at how can private industry and that's one of the other things we heard from the hill yep, is they want private industry to be involved in helping fund this either helping fund it or helping provide some type of a certificate for a producer that's produced a climate mm-hmm. smart ag product to be rewarded for that so that's part of our pilot as well is is trying to figure out a way for private industry to get involved in helping fund this. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think that's where it's been at right now is is there has been some efforts and there are some efforts there some of it has 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 went through of private industry groups that are wanting to carbon offset to to do this. So I think from that standpoint, I think you know that that sounds like a good thing in my opinion, if we can get private industry to help fund this and then there'd be some, collaboration that has some i guess some baseline i I feel like there's just a lot of uncertainty out there with it and we really need to have some framework that kind of puts everybody on the same baseline
1: and and justin that's kind of what i went back to to start with i think there has to be a some fashion of a government framework of whatever this program evolves to to have a to have a quote what you just said a baseline Mm -hmm. of this is this is how the program works. This is what the values are. And 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 then here's how people get paid. So that that's that's sort of a synopsis of what we're working yeah, on.
0: You bet. Martin Barbary, Vice President of Engagement and Government Relations, is my guest here today. Martin, uh, you mentioned it a little bit ago, uh, ways people can get more information or to get involved. Again, let's kind of go back through that, the website and how they can get involved.
1: Absolutely, uh, Justin. The, the, our website is is www.ripe.com. Roadmap.org. org you can go on there um, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today is is written out on there but also there's there's links on our website to, to number one sign up for a newsletter that doesn't really take any any effort you read the newsletter once a month and you kinda keep up with where ripe's going uh, also a link on there to sign up if you're interested for our farmer advisory network uh, that group's growing uh, we've it's it's still small but it's good but doubled in the last six weeks Mm -hmm. so so we're growing that farmer advisory network that's a group of farmers farmers only uh, meet once a month for an hour virtually farmers Farmers and and ranchers ranchers. (laughs) i've said that i've said that all day justin and i didn't say it then (laughs) i take credit for that that's one thing i do I, I, i i yes but yes a group of farmers and it is it is farmers and ranchers and and join that and and be involved in the conversation. Like I say, we meet meet virtually once a month. Uh, We also once a month do what we call a RIPE 101 webinar on the website. You can sign up for that. Our, our Ag Outreach Director Jamie Powers just sort of goes through the, the basics of some of what all we've talked about today and gives an overview of RIPE and it opens us up for questions for folks that, that haven't heard about RIPE before. So if you're very, if you're interested at all, go to riperoadmap.org and then sign up for the newsletter and, and sign up for the webinar and then Hopefully we can get you further involved.
0: You bet. All right. Martin Barbary, Vice President of Engagement and Government Relations with RIPE. Now, that's an acronym for the organization that stands for Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment. And, Martin, I appreciate you taking the time here to join us today on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
1: And, Justin, I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about RIPE. And and it's been a good conversation. I really enjoyed it.
0: All right, you bet. Thanks again. Well, folks, stay with us when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Meteorologist Donde joins us with a look at our long-term weather as we continue to see a lot of unsettled weather across the north and that those dry conditions down in the central and southern plains. We'll get a look at what that's going to look like for the month of May when we return.
1: At the American Akaushi Association, we're more than prime. The American Akaushi Association was created to help ranchers be more profitable and find opportunities when using Akaushi genetics in their herd. We focus on market opportunities for our members and offer support from conception to consumer. When you choose Akaushi, you have a network right there with you. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. That's A-K-A-U-S-H-I.com.
0: Uh mm-hmm. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here with you as we turn now with a look at our long-term weather meteorologist Don Day joining us for that. And Don, earlier this last week, I was listening to uh, your podcast and one of the things that you had mentioned that is a little different than what we were at last year, both La Nina years, but we're really seeing a difference in the Gulf of Alaska and that being kind of this storm generator that we're seeing across the northern tier of the country. Explain that and its difference from last year.
3: Sure. So uh, let's talk about what's going on in the Gulf of Alaska right now. Up in the Gulf of Alaska. So what I'm talking about is is uh, the water temperatures off the Aleutians, uh, up into the Gulf there where Alaska meets British Columbia. Uh, that area right there is a very important location because it is an area that breeds and generates storms. And it can if conditions are right. And really over the last five weeks or so, we've seen an area of colder than average sea surface temperatures in around that area I just mentioned. It's contrasted with an area of temperatures in those sea surface conditions that are a little bit warmer than average off to the west. And what this is doing, it's creating a temperature gradient that ends up helping it kind of a, it's not necessarily causing the storms to form, but it's helping them. And what we're seeing is a lot of storm activity that's coming out of the Gulf of Alaska through the Pacific Northwest and going across the Northern Plains and is largely responsible for the blizzards Mm -hmm. and the big storms that have hit the North Dakota, Montana region this weekend, parts of Wyoming. Um, And it's it's something that we did not have in place a year ago. A year ago, the water temperatures in the Gulf of Alaska were warmer and did not generate those stronger spring storms. Hence, part of the problem we had last spring into early summer with those areas that are getting the storms now that didn't get them last year. Now, we contrast that with the continuation of La Nina out in the subtropical Pacific, which is continuing to make it really hard for the central and southern plains and especially the winter wheat country to get part of these storms. It's kind of a vicious cycle Mm -hmm. we're getting these really strong storms across the northern part of the united states and uh they're getting really wet these storms have been extremely productive at helping out some really dry areas but the same storms that bring really good moisture to those northern areas end up causing wind storms and warmer and drier than normal conditions to the south of these storms Mm -hmm. so it with we're getting about as much good as we're getting yeah, bad yeah. Uh, in this
0: pattern. Mm-hmm. One of the things you talked about, too, was that as we start to see this jet stream settle down and slow up a little bit, that we might start to see a little bit more weather or moisture then falling to this more in the southern plains.
3: We were seeing hints of that. And, and while we're not 100 percent sure it will happen, we're seeing the possibility that as we get into the month of May, the jet stream naturally begins to weaken. It's not as intense as the seasons change. And what'll happen sometime is that that Gulf of Alaska region will still be producing storms in frontier for for a few more weeks into early May. And what may happen, we've seen this in the past, is you'll start to see a couple of storms break off the jet stream and kind of meander slowly across the central and southern Rockies and central and southern plains. And that can, can get you into a multiple day period of cooler conditions where you can get some good rains, thunderstorms and get some of those areas in the Southern parts that are missing out on these storms right now. And then that also will lead to a little bit of a warmer temperature pattern for parts of those Northern Rockies and Northern Plains. Um, I was just reading a, a report about all of this great rain and snow across North Dakota and parts of Montana, Northeastern Wyoming, but it's been so cold this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need some heat to get yeah. the grass to grow. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. well, that's exactly where we're in too. I mean, we've I've had to push off when I'm bringing heifers back from the feedlot because the grass isn't ready and I'm hoping it's going to be ready by June 1.
3: Right, and, and I do think that, that May is not necessarily going to be a, a really warm month, at least relative to averages, um, it's A lot of times, and we've talked about this, these double-edged swords. So if you're gonna break the drought in some locations, you need these strong, intense spring storms. You just got, these are the kind that help you bust up a drought. Mm-hmm. Then you get the ground a little more wet. That in turns causes evaporation that keeps air temperatures and soil temperatures a little bit cooler. So it's one of these situations to where um, ultimately uh, at the end of the day, uh, we will see the grasses come back. We'll see those warmer temperatures come back on in, but it's gonna be a, a gonna be a little bit of a slow process. Really, this this type of pattern for the northern plains, uh, if we continue to see the coolness in May, and I think we will, uh, is gonna really make summer off to a bit of a slower start for those northern areas. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dakotas, Montana, northern Wyoming. And if you look at some of the precipitation totals, I know they're still talking about severe drought in the Pacific Northwest, and they still haven't. But we've also seen parts of Washington and Oregon and northern Idaho uh, have some wetter weather as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we hope for our folks down in the central southern plains, too, that uh, at some point they're going to get some moisture because they desperately do need it. So,
3: Yeah, and and that is my biggest concern. With La Nina being stubborn, um, I am really concerned about the I-70, I-40 corridors being the last to get help. And then once you get past that second and third week of May, What you got to put your hope and faith in is that thunderstorm Mm -hmm. thunderstorm season that you start to see in June and July down there to help bring rain. And if the ground is dry, it's hard to get those thunderstorms going.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Don, thanks again for joining us here, giving us that look of what we're going to be seeing for weather across the country here as we get started with the month of May. Good talking to you and again that was meteorologist don day with a look at our long-term weather and if you're like me and you like to stay on top of what the weather is looking like across the week and coming up for the following several weeks out i would invite you to go to his website at dayweather.com and you can sign up for his daily video podcast well stay with us when we come back we'll put a wrap on this week's episode of the working ranch radio show we'll be back after this Living in the country means working in the country, and that calls for a tough tractor. Well, Bobcat has 15 models in its compact tractor lineup from 21 to 58 horsepower. With the help of your local Bobcat dealer, you'll find a perfect match for your property and to-do list. Get a look at all the different models at Bobcat.com, and while you're there, use the build and quote tool to design your ideal machine. Get yourself one tough tractor from one tough animal. Bobcat. Visit Bobcat.com. Well, before we shut the barn doors on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, uh, a couple things here Uh, in just a few moments. I'm going to tell you what we're going to be talking about on next week's episode. Really interesting. But first, I do want to thank the sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Cementol Association, Heterosis Works, which is why with Cementol, it's more per head, period. Find out more at Cementol.org. Bobcat, one tough tractor. Go to Bobcat.com and use the build and quote tool to design your ideal machine. The American Hereford Association, come home to Hereford. Find out more. Go to their website at hereford.org. The North American Limousine Foundation, limousine cattle, deliver to your bottom line. And finally, the American Akaushi Association, experience the difference. Find out more at akaushi.com. Well, coming up on next week's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, we're going to be heading up to our friends up north to the University of Alberta as Edward Bork will be joining me to talk. About some groundbreaking research that they are doing there as they are working to try to pinpoint genetic traits that could increase grazing efficiency with cattle. They've got uh, about four very closed herds that they're going to be doing some extensive studies on. I'm excited to find out more about it. They're just getting started with it, but we're going to be talking about uh, why they're doing it, what their plans are for it, and how they hope it will impact our beef industry. That's on next week's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. This has has been a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. And if you don't have your subscription to Working Ranch Magazine, go to their website at workingranchmag.com and get your started today. Be sure to join us right here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM, or on your podcast provider. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.